And if you would turn your uh, Bibles back to 1 Kings, it'd be very helpful to have a Bible open in front of you today. We're going to drop in at different points across these three chapters, a bit more rapid fire than usual. Uh, I may even mention the NIV headings to help us uh, locate, uh, which will probably be the first time ever, and if not the last time as well. Let me lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for your word spoken, your word you caused to write down, that we may hear it read, that we may hear it proclaimed. Do that transforming work in us you promised to do today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever heard someone say, after telling a good news story, it restored my faith in humanity? Uh, you hear it in conversations, on, on the news and written on the internet. People use it when they're uh, delighted by something someone has done. And I think it also goes without saying, although I'm about to say it, uh, that it's used because we're so often disappointed uh, by people. I mean, how much shorter would the news be if it wasn't for these? The opportunism the lies, the self-centeredness, the thefts, the muggings and the murders. Uh, and so when we hear stories of kindness, they can be small things or big things. It might be the driver at the drive through uh, who pays for the order for the person behind her. Uh, or the good Samaritan who runs into a fire to save someone, not themselves. Against that bleak backdrop, uh, people often say, uh, the good news story restored my faith in humanity. Uh, but can I speak bluntly with you for a moment? Don't have faith in humanity. Uh, why do I say that? Well, it's because without any intervention, we are evil, wretched, wretched sinners self-centred, self-serving, lying, cheating, stealing, lusting, coveting. And then we have the next day. Uh, I'm talking about myself, I'm talking about you, I'm talking about our parents, our children, our neighbours and friends. I, I, I know people do good things and that is a kindness of God, but it's because we are made in his image. But let's remember that anything that we do that reflects his character is just doing what we were made to do and can even happen in us and among us while our hearts are hard to him. But you will never find the words in the Bible, have faith in humanity. Have you ever stopped to think uh, that that's the case? And if we don't come to terms with our own evil, with our own hardness of heart toward God and his, his place and role and rule over our lives, we will never understand the gravity and defiance of our sin before him. Uh, we will never truly appreciate, likewise, the life-changing, forgiveness-winning good news that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Saviour. Because the wonderful thing is, God has intervened extraordinarily 
with promise and patience and long-suffering, he has done for us what we could never do for ourselves, and it is ours through faith in one human only, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Kings chapter 14 to 16 play out uh, their problem. They, uh, they show us its severity. They focus our attention. It's like uh, going and seeing, you know, the huge IMAX screens in the IMAX theatre? Well, today's viewing is how bad things are as God sees us without him. 1 Kings uh, that we're reading majors uh, in these chapters on this, like a few others, the great divide between what should have been and what we now see. As we see the plans and acts of the kings this side of Solomon, uh, after Solomon's death, after the heights of that mountaintop experience, the kings of both Israel and Judah, the Israel, the ten tribes in the north, and Judah, the two in the south, as they are in free fall from the heady heights of that mountaintop experience. As I said before, do have your Bibles open. Uh, this might feel like a little bit of a whistle-stop tour. Uh, and our first is in the north. I'm going to try and remember to do kings who are in the north on this side and kings on the south on this side. So our first stop is in the north, the kingdom of Israel under King Jeroboam. Even though the Lord had promised him a great kingdom and called on him to turn back from his evil ways, 13 verse 33 from the beginning of our reading, he didn't change his evil ways and disobedience. He just repeats them. Now in chapter 14, instead of being open with the Lord, uh, he tries to deceive him. How does that go for him? We heard in our reading, didn't we? Right. So his son is sick. He wants to know how this is going to turn out and who would fault him for that. But he doesn't want Ahijah, the Lord's prophet, to know it's him asking. He doesn't want Ahijah to know it's his wife asking because he knows, verse 3, Ahijah is the one who told him that the Lord would make him a king over this people, back in chapter 11. He, Ahijah is the one who spoke the Lord God's word that he would rule as a great king. And who also, Ahijah is, the one who also said by the word of the Lord, obey and walk in his ways. Uh, but it's all too clear that Jeroboam is very much picking and choosing uh, what he wishes to listen to. So, uh, knowing that Ahijah the prophet will be none too impressed with that sort of attitude to God, he doesn't want to give away. It's him who's asking. But the whole deceit uh, is in vain. Actually, after the trouble King Jeroboam went to, uh, Ahijah won't see him. I don't mean he won't let him come in. We know that this for sure because we're actually told Ahijah couldn't see because of his age. The whole disguise was a waste of time. But the Lord sees uh, the wife and Jeroboam, the husband. Uh, he can't deceive the king. Humanity can't deceive uh, the Lord. We can't deceive the Lord 
And so the Lord pronounces judgment on King Jeroboam, where despite all the goodness of the promises that had been made to him, the Lord sums up Jeroboam in 14 verse 9. You have done more evil than all who lived before you. You have made for yourself other gods, idols made of metal. You have aroused my anger and turned your back on me. And the Lord pronounces just an awful uh, end to Jeroboam's family. And he pronounces judgment as well on the people of Israel that Jeroboam had led into sin. Uh, they were led badly but they still have their own responsibility to give an account for themselves. And in these words, verses 14 and, uh, 15 and 16, I should say, the Lord announces the reversal of their salvation. He tolls the death knell of the nation. Let me read from verse 15. And the Lord will strike Israel so that it will be like a reed swaying in the water. He will uproot Israel from this good land that he gave to their ancestors and scatter them beyond the Euphrates River because they aroused the Lord's anger by making a shiripoles and he will give Israel up because of the sins Jeroboam has committed and has caused Israel to commit. What a tragedy. Uh, Israel were gathered to God. They were given the privilege of openness of God and knowing God, but because of their sin, now they will experience the judgment of God. These chapters are chapters of contrast, aren't they, between what should have been and the tragedy of what is. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but as you read through these chapters, if you've done that yourself or you do that after uh, church again today, uh, there's like four times where it talks about the war between the north and the south, between their king and their king, when under Solomon and the great promise of God was that there would be peace. This is a passage of the terrible contrast since the days of the fall too, we are just like them. And as much as we might try, we can't hide from God, we can't deceive God, and we deserve the judgment of God. But when we trust the Lord Jesus, we may walk another way. Not in the way of judgment, but of forgiveness, having our way changed by his wonderful, extraordinary intervention by Jesus' work in us. But we must have hearing hearts and see ourselves as God sees us and see the depravity of our sin. The Lord saw uh, through Jeroboam, saw the truth about Jeroboam and really <clears throat> this more extended episode gets played out again and again in the kings that will follow. The Lord sees through them as well. So now time to move quickly 
Uh, we switch now to the south, to the kingdom of Judah, to Rehoboam, starting in chapter 14, verse 21. You'll see an NIV heading there. The NIV headings are quite helpful. It gives you the name of the king, the name of the kingdom, whether it's Israel or Judah. Uh, and I didn't say this last week, but I was talking to one of you afterwards, after church. <clears throat> if you get confused with, you know, Israel and Judah and Rehoboam's the king of Israel and Jeroboam's the... I'm doing it wrong, aren't I? <laughs> See, I told you you get confused. Uh, uh, Jeroboam is the king of Israel. Rehoboam is the king of Judah. The way I remember it, when I do occasionally, is that Jeroboam's name starts with J and he is not the king of Judah. <clears throat> That's all I can offer you. Uh, let's cut to the chase. Verse 22, uh, Judah did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, by the sins they committed, they stirred up his jealous anger more than those who were before them had done. That is Judah under Rehoboam. What about his son, the next king of Judah, from 15 verse 1? You can see it again in the heading, Abijah. What's said about him? Verse 3, he committed all the sins his father had done before him. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his forefather had been. I forgot to put my hand up to say Judah, southern kingdom. The years are ticking by... Uh, and if you imagine you were in a plane looking at what your altitude is, this is free fall. The dial is spinning and the height is dropping rapidly down and down and down. Now we'll skip Abijah's son Asa for the moment, uh, the heading at 15 verse 9, and we're back to the north after him, the kingdom of Israel again, the heading at chapter 15 verse 25. Remember King Jeroboam, he had a son, Nadab. And what's the scorecard on him? Because with every new king that comes along in this <coughs> me, chronology, there is a, a, a wafer of hope, a whisper of hope uh, that he might improve on the previous one. But 15 verse 26, Nadab did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the ways of his father and committing the same sin his father had caused Israel to commit. He only lasts two years because the wheels are really falling off now and the Lord's promise to Jeroboam of what would happen to his family line happens here. Now, uh, people outside of the family of the king want a piece of the action. This is where we see uh, human or people politics at play. Uh, so Baasha kills the king so he can be king. And as the Lord promised, Jeroboam's family is wiped out. That's how human sin, left to our own devices, does things. Always grasping never satisfied, even willing to kill to get what it wants. And for us, these chapters, as succinct as they are, still feel like watching a train wreck in slow motion. And so it goes on. But Asher did evil in the eyes of the Lord, 15 verse 34. His son Elah 
we hear he's the same, then, sorry, got to use the right hand, then Zimri has a go, the mastermind of another killing, and 16 verse 19, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, then Omri, 16 verse 21, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Do you see how this thing's unfolding? One of the things that strikes me as I read the Old Testament uh, both in English and when you can have a bit of an insight into uh, the original language is, is just how uh, uh, on point every word and phrase is. Everyone comes chock full with meaning. Uh, and when you see the same words used again and again, it's not because they couldn't think of something different to say, but because they want to say, focus in, pay attention. You must listen to this. One other thing, and in case you're interested, I only really uh, spotted this uh, properly this time, reading 1 Kings. I always wondered how Samaria in the New Testament got its name, uh, because it's not the name of one of the ten tribes of Israel, and it's not uh, exactly the same as the kingdom of Israel. And uh, when you get to the New Testament, it, you come across it, don't you? So Jesus is passing, passing through Samaria and talks to the woman at the well in John. Uh, or there's the parable about, the what's the famous parable? The Good Samaritan. Yeah, it's talking about someone from Samaria. Uh, but in chapter 16, verse 24, we read, Omri bought the hill of Samaria from Shema for two talents of silver and built a city on the hill, calling it Samaria after Shema, the name of the former owner of the hill. And that is where the name of what will become that region comes from. But back to the train wreck. And if you thought the others were bad, Omri had a son too, who followed him as king. His name was Ahab. Uh, he married Jezebel from the foreign land, uh, the foreign land of Sidon up to the northeast uh, on the edge of the Mediterranean. Uh, Jezebel... Uh, brought with her her foreign gods and the alarm bell should be going off again. And what's the great achievement of Ahab? Uh, well, 16 verse 30, Ahab's son of Omri did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He is the worst king of Israel so far. What an extraordinary and terrible achievement. King Jeroboam, first king of the ten tribes of Israel, set up two golden calves. He led the Lord's people to worship the true God in the wrong way, a grave and self-interested sin. King Ahab, he led the people to worship other gods, no gods at all, false gods, counterfeit gods the god of baal the lord told his people to wipe out of the land when they arrived in it the asherah poles they used in worship of baal and do you remember jericho who hasn't heard of jericho everyone heard of jericho uh, where the walls came tumbling down uh, when god's people were coming into the promised land uh, the first thing they had to do after crossing the Jordan River, coming into the land, was take Jericho. And it is an ill wind that blows, which brings news that Jericho is rebuilt. 
uh, under Ahab's reign, this is a sign of reversal, a terrible sign, a sign that these people who came into the land via Jericho are on their way out again. Do you feel the weight of these chapters? Uh, these are God's people, privileged, and yet their sin is so deep, so wide, so high, their kings cannot love and obey the Lord as they should, and neither can the people. As we read the Bible, we find... <laughs> We so often want to find ourselves in whichever episode we are reading, but this time, this week, in these chapters, not so keen. But we must see ourselves as we are and the rest of humanity as well. See ourselves as God sees us without any intervention reflected here in the kings of God's people and the people themselves. There is no one who is good, no one without sin. There is no one who doesn't deserve the judgment of God. We compare ourselves to each other. You know, you can imagine us all lining up and sort of comparing yourself to someone who's there or someone who's there in the line. Uh, and there's a comfort in doing that because we go, well, actually, we're not that bad. You know, just look at that person over there. Uh, we think to ourselves, I'm not that bad. Look at that person. But really what the scriptures say is we are all as bad as one another. And the difference, as you can see, is really only lack of opportunity. Romans 1 from... Verse 18 that we touched on last week that David read out for us. It should ring in our minds as we read these chapters. Uh, like these in 1 Kings, they challenge our view of ourselves as they will continue from Romans 1 verse 18 through to chapter 2 and through in chapter 3. To have this reality check that we're having today uh, is essential to true wisdom. Coming to terms with this, this is what it means to have a hearing heart before God this morning. But did you notice as well a glimmer of hope? Even in the most grave of chapters. Certainly it's not so bright as, you know, like the fiery... Uh, ball at the centre of our solar system, as bright as the sun, it's more like at night time when the moon and stars come out. Did you notice it, that there is hope even in the midst of sin? Let me uh, uh, share a, a couple of thoughts on, on where this is happening. It's there enfolded in a name, the name David, King David, the King of Promise. Uh, well, the king who received the promise of God, that one from among his descendants would rule God's kingdom forever. We read his name out once, uh, but if you look through these four chapters, he's mentioned nine times. Uh, and he's mentioned as a contrast to the kings of disobedience. That's one of the ways he's mentioned. 
another way is in the description of Jerusalem in Judah as the city of David. And then the other way is in chapter 15 where the Lord provides a child to Abijah who would become King Asa, the king of Judah we skipped over, who in 15 verse 11 did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, who in 15 14 had a heart fully committed to the Lord all his life. But why is he here? And particularly when he's the child of an evil father, Abijah, 15 verse 4. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem uh, by raising up a son to succeed him and by making Jerusalem strong. Why is Asa here? David's name is what takes pride of place. But actually, when you see his name involved, it's the promise of the Lord. And remember, the Lord throughout these chapters, uh, you know, capital L-O-R-D, which you see in your Bibles, that is his covenant name, his name which reveals his character and his special relationship with his people. And do you know what a covenant is? It's a promise. He is the promise-keeping God. If hope in these chapters is only a tiny glimmer, like the moon and the stars, where we stand today, the sun has come out. Uh, great David's greater son, the Lord Jesus, who as a king is as far away in his behaviour from these evil kings as the east is from the west. And yet, uh, as they led their people into sin, he leads too. He leads we who trust and depend upon him. And through his reign, we receive something far, far better. Gathered by God into his presence, we have peace with God where we were at war. We have rock-solid hope a confidence that cannot be shaken and we have every spiritual blessing in him. As I read from Romans 1 last week and we heard at the outset of our Romans reading today, Paul says, and we can say with him when our trust is in him, Romans 1 from verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Where these kings in the sight of God were evil, the Lord Jesus is totally right and righteous. And so don't have faith in humanity, whether it's others or ourselves. That is a fool's quest. 
Look instead to the one who has restored humanity, has restored all of us who place our trust in him through his faithfulness in the sight of God. Let me lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we want to thank you uh, that your word is true, uh, that it doesn't paper over uh, the difficulties, the challenges, the bad news, the terrible news, but rather shows us reality as it really is so we may know and trust and love your good news in Jesus our Lord. We thank you that he is a king who is right and faithful in your eyes and that through him and united to him we may be forgiven. Grant us that forgiveness, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.